Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 11th, 2022. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, I think we're going to have an interesting conversation uh, for this first item. I don't know about okay. you, but I, I think we are. So I'll, I'll just let you get right into it, and uh, we can talk later about uh, the end of the show and stuff like that. So Yeah, I mean, I was just going to start by saying this is the last show I actually prepared. I know. I was. It's like the last. The other thing I was thinking about, too, was like, you remember when Johnny Carson quit? Yep. And it was like he had his last show coming up, but they said his final guests were going to be Robin Williams and Bette Midler. And I was like, uh, how? but then his last show was the same thing we're doing. He like sat on a stool and just sort of talked to the audience and stuff. And that's kind of what we're going to do next week. This is like our last official show today. And then next week is going to be kind of like just sort of our reflections and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, this is the last time I had to like search for news to fill the show. Yeah, so, yeah. Are you are you bummed? <laughs> so where where are you recording from? Because it sounds like you're in like a tin can or something. Uh, I was wondering if you were going to notice that I moved somewhere different today. Oh yeah, it's my, all echoey. Oh, see, I put my headphones in so it would reduce the echo, but <laughs> <laughs> it ain't working. So on the last show that we're doing officially, you're going to sound like you know. It's haunting, actually, the way you sound. It's kind of... <laughs> it's like you're a ghost, you know? Just like that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just so cold here. I couldn't be in my little cubby hole. I'd be somewhere warmer. <laughs> oh, man. All right, All right, go ahead. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, All right, so Hustler Casino has banned a player after he was seen peeking at an opponent's hole cards on a live stream last week in a statement released from the Las, Vegas, uh, Los Angeles area card room. Um... Julio Skills Rocks Cedillo has admitted what he did was unethical and accepts his ban from the room. Players were also reminded that protecting their cards is their responsibility. Uh, I like it. His nickname is Skills Rocks, yet he has to look at other people's cards. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the jokes write themselves, right? Yeah, I assume that's a skill. You have to be able to tilt your head a certain way. I don't know. Uh, to be able to do it and not be seen on a live stream would be a super skill. That'd be a real skill. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I wondered about this a little bit. You and I, we've always taken the legal and ethical high roads of things when we... Yes. But I just have a question about it. I mean, is a banning a little too extreme? Well, it wasn't like he was... I mean, it's not like he was cheating blatantly like with how other people have been accused of doing it where they knew what the whole cards were without anyone else. You know I mean, if this person's not protecting their cards or if a card flashes and you see it, you don't have to tell the whole world what the card you saw. So I know this guy was looking at his cards and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm condemning him for what he did. I'm not saying yes. it was right, but yes. we're talking about ethics here. Yes. Not, you know, we're talking about ethics. It's yes. not, you know what I mean? So it's practice, man. I can't <laughs> believe we're talking about practice, but, um, <laughs> But really, I, I just wondered if the banning is a little extreme for this. Yeah, okay, give him a penalty, give him a one-day ban, a week ban or something. But like for the rest of his life, he can't play there because he some guy was stupid enough to let his cards be seen and he looked at them? I mean, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, this this was a uh, – to, uh, to the extent – then I'm going to defend Skills Rocks here, um, <laughs> and it's hard for me to defend anybody with that name. But anyhow, uh, I think he did get caught up in a little post-Mike Postel backlash here, right? Yeah, where, yeah. Where everybody's like super um, skittish about live streams and being accused of things being not on the up and up, so they act quickly and swiftly and 
maybe arguably uh, too swiftly and too harshly, right? Yeah, I, I think that you're probably right on the head there with that. I, I feel like Hustler says, we don't want to get caught up in any of this bad publicity and everything, so we're doing the strictest thing we can do, and we're getting that guy out of here. You're not gonna have, we're not going to accept cheating in our casino. And we, we all agree with that. No one wants you to. But at the same time, it's like, hey, dude, are you really going to do it again after we kick you out for a month? I don't think you will. Bring him back. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's the first time I've heard of Julio Skills Rocks. <laughs> um, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know what his overall character is. Um, I don't think we've heard from him. It was a statement from the hustler that said that he he admitted what he did and was unethical and accepted his ban. So that doesn't mean he actually did either of those things or right. So I don't know, but I'm going to take him and take the statement at, at, at its word that, uh, he, he realized, uh, he shouldn't have done this and it's fine with the band. Now, a couple of things I'm like in practical sense, there are 190 card rooms in <laughs> LA. So yeah. it's not like this guy's not going to play poker ever again. So, um, uh, though obviously it's a stain, right? It's a stain on your reputation forever. And you know how poker players are. So it's funny because I, and I'm not saying, again, I, it's our last show, so I could just say, you know, to hell with it. I don't care, <laughs> but I'm not going to. But at the same time, it's like there are way more things that piss me off at a poker table than a guy who tried to cop a look at my cards because I was horrible with protecting them. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, some of the things people say at the table, the way they smell, you know what I mean? The, the, what they, the way they eat, what they do, the way they talk, the people, the things they say, you know, the way they treat women. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay. I'm sorry this guy looked at your cards when you were not protecting them. And, you know, okay, I, cheating is like an interesting word, too. If, if you're going to show me your cards or make it, a, make it uh, you know, easy for me to see them, how am I cheating? Yeah, this is not cheating. This is unethical, uh, clearly unethical in my opinion, but cheating is a, yeah. a, a step a little too far for me. I think and, and to your point, too, and it does sound like we're like super defending this guy. That, I don't want that to be the right, impression. Right, right, I'm not. But, I'm definitely not. Uh, but, but to your point, um, th- this was a situation that a player could have prevented. Uh, those other things that you mentioned, I can't do anything about as a yes, player, right? right. You know, I, I can give you a bar of soap and go tell you to wash up during the next break, <laughs> but you know, I can't actually rub soap on you or spray perfume on you, right? Um, I can't tell you to be a nicer person. I can't tell you. Uh, I mean, I can't make you be a nicer. I can't make you not uh, swear at the table, right? But here, I can protect my hands. You can't see it. So that there is, uh, you know, a lot of differences here between this and and some of the other things we've seen. Um, now, uh, so people don't accuse me of uh, wanting to start a podcast with Skills Rocks as my new co-host. <laughs> I will say, um, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're on a live stream, all right. I mean, it's one thing when you're at a table where there's no cameras, and no one's looking, and yeah, okay, this this rube next to me can't protect his his cards. So when I glance over, I see him, and then I act on it. But it, on a live stream, how do you ever imagine that you are going to get away with this and not be caught? And no one calling you out on it, right? I mean, I mean, you go back to the Mike Postel, and like people like poured through hundreds of hours of video to see that he tapped his hat in a certain way, right? Yeah. I'm like, and you think they're not going to notice you peeking at old cards? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> well, how, now, wait a minute. Now, how do we know this wasn't some elaborate Ocean's Eleven scheme where he's just waiting on, like, Matt Damon to click the feed over and it shows, like, a loop, you know, and then he gets yeah. away with it? You know, we yeah. don't know how his skills rocks. That's his name. I mean, <laughs> this guy can be really talented in a lot of different ways, you know. Maybe he's got some guy in a van outside ready to just send in another feed to show him not looking at people's cards, you know. And if the guy in the van was Matt Foley, I would give him mad respect. Matt for that. Foley yeah. and the van is parked down by the river. By the down river, by the river, baby. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this whole thing on the show before, too, about what, what, what we're supposed to do in this situation, right? Because there have been situations where I am not at all trying to see the guy next to me's cards. And you will, I will mention to him, like, hey, dude, can you please protect your hand. I don't want to see your cards. I'm not trying to see your cards. And then they keep not protecting it. I mean, now... Um, now it's inconveniencing your play because in those situations, I don't feel like I can turn my head to the right or the left, right, or whichever side he's on, yeah. out of fear of 
accidentally seeing his cards again because the guy just won't, even though I told him, you know, you are not protecting your cards. Man up, right? Yeah. So uh, it, is, it is definitely a frustrating thing. And I had a scenario a long time ago in Vegas, I'm probably talking about on the show, where the guy next to me politely told me, hey, man, you're – you're exposing your cards, you know, and uh, it's like, and I feel bad because you've gotten really crappy cards today. <laughs> and, you know, it was a wake up call to me. I'm like, I didn't think I was showing them. So, um, so maybe, a, you know, maybe protect them a little bit better. So, um, it, yeah, I just, you know, it, it's tough. It, I, I, I like that they did remind players that protecting their cards is their responsibility. So I'm just curious what happens next going forward after this. I'm like, you know, no one seems to be talking about the guy who wasn't protecting his cards here. Um, yeah. If I was that guy, I probably would not be back on the live stream because people, I'm not going to, until I can figure out how to protect my cards. So, um, yeah, that's definitely an interesting um, topic of discussion here. So, yeah, we've talked about it on the show too, where you, you like to bring it up where people overreact to things. And this is what you said earlier. And I just think, I think if Hustler had a chance to think about it again, I think they might, you know, and, and I'm sure there's still uh, down the road a chance for this guy maybe to return. If you learned your lesson, it's six months later, you know, or something, you know, maybe though he can go and, you know, appeal to them or something. But it just seems, I mean, there's a ton of rooms out there you can go play in. But, you know, if you have a room you like, you know, you like it for a reason, and not just because yeah, people are exposing yeah. their cards, you know. Well, so. and, and you're also not on the live stream, which people like to be on. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it certainly is, um, this is, you know, a pretty big penalty for him. It's not as big as, as we may talk about later on in the show, but, um, it is a big, you know, it is a penalty. So, all right, cool. So, protect your cards and quit peeking. Quit peeking. Yeah. yeah. And, and bathe before you come. <laughs> Please bathe. <laughs> uh, Encore Boston Harbor has reopened its poker room. And while Beantown town players are pleased to have poker back after almost two years, few are excited about the rake, which is 10% up to a $10 max, even in low limit games. Players are taking to Twitter to say that the rate combined with a drastically smaller room with just 12 tables is all part of the casino's strategy to drive poker out. So this, this is the bizarre thing, and we kind of talked about what was going on with this, I think, before, but I'm not sure. And do you think they're required to open a room? Because yeah, why would they even open it if they want to get rid of it? Yeah, it, well, yeah, we did talk about this. This is a fairly unique thing, I think, um, to gaming commissions, but... Um, it does seem by how the Gaming Commission has treated this that they are requiring both Encore and Springfield, MGM Springfield, to have poker because they have it in their regs. Um, now, why they would insist on requiring a certain game be played, I, I, that I can't answer. Uh, but it certainly seems like that's the case. So um, in both cases, um, they're, they're pretty much phoning it in. Doing what they can, yeah, and certainly uh, Encore is is phoning in, but uh, reversing the charges. So you know, uh, yeah, ten percent to ten dollar max. That's that's cruise ship rate right there. I mean, yeah. not any up cruise ship rate, like real cruise ship rate. Right. Uh, so that that's pretty insane. And I believe the, the room had 60, 70 tables when it before COVID, and now it's twelve. So already it's you know four or five hour waits, and they close close the room every night. I think they close at 8 p.m. So uh, there were people that were on the list at the beginning of the day that never got into a game. Um, now, maybe they wouldn't have been upset if they found out that it was a $10 max. You know, certainly, uh, I don't know if they, they spread 2-4 there or 3-6 or anything like that, but if you're playing those games, $10 max, I mean, every bit of the table is going to be broken an hour. Yeah. So um, it, it's it, it's really hard uh, to not believe what people on Twitter are saying is true. That they they are just phoning it in, and if they can go back uh, in a year and demonstrate the gaming commission that poker just is not working, people don't want to play it anymore. Can we get rid of it? Um, you know, this is the way to do it. So. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of stipulations for because there's no way to close the room. If it says you have to have a room to have a casino, I mean, you, you can't just keep putting people there and losing money as a as a facility, you know, if no one's going to play in your poker room. So there's got to be some sort of like threshold that they can say, look, we're not even meeting this threshold with the poker room. Can we now close it? You know, yep. and that's what they're trying to do. If if that's the case, otherwise it's just ignorance is why they're doing this. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, certainly not ignorance. I don't think. I think there's a strategy. Yeah, here. they know what they're doing. Um, and these you know, gaming commissions are really interesting from state to state, like in Pennsylvania. Yeah, a casino cannot remove slot machines from their floor without getting gaming 
control board permission. They have to go go to them and say, hey, we're taking these in. Now, that was probably put in place because, you know, the tax revenue goes to the state and, uh, you know, obviously the state wants its cut. Right? Exactly. So, so, yeah, so they don't want you taking out things that they make money on and putting in things that they don't make it on, like, you know, restaurants or things like that. So, but still, it, it, from the outside, it seems like, oh, I'm like, well, you know, why do I need to go ask for permission to make my casino smaller, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> But uh, but that, that that certainly seems like the case in Massachusetts. So feel bad for the players up there. Um, you know they do have some good options elsewhere, but it's you know what a good two hour drive to all of them. So it is unfortunate because there was such excitement when both of these rooms opened up. So. This is when you want them to bring back the hourly charge instead yeah. of the rate well, charge. And imagine the, what it would be. <laughs> yeah, I know twenty dollars a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So. Hmm. Well, we'll see what happens here, but uh, well, we won't see what's happening. Well, uh, we'll see about from afar. <laughs> poker roll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> all right, Poker Pro Chris Wallace, writing on CardsChat.com, has opined that all might not be what appears on those high-stakes poker TV broadcasts. Uh, no, he's not alleging cheating or anything like that, but he does lay out a layered scenario that shows how, through action swaps, players are able to play at stakes that would be beyond their bankrolls, something that happens often with broke pros, the result, he says, could be two or more players in a broadcast with a piece of each other. This is uh, Chris used to write for us, Fox, yes. Walt, Fox, yep. right? Whatever. Yeah. So um, that's interesting. I, I've always assumed that there was stuff like that going on anyway. I, I mean, uh, you know, when you know the fi- you know how uh, when the light bulb comes on, when you learn about at the final table of tournaments, they're swapping each other and they're going to yeah. the bathroom. You know, you never even heard about that until, you know, you just watch one of these documentaries or you read enough online and stuff. And then you're like, oh, wow, I had no idea that stuff's happening. But once you know it, you just assume it always happens, you know, with these yeah. big, big shows, these big, big tournaments and stuff. So this doesn't shock me as much, but um, it is a little shocking because of the amount of money they're playing with. You know, it seems like, you know, who who can afford to give you that money if you if they can't afford it either? You know, they got to find someone who's really loaded who can afford it. And it's just I mean, I realize you're when you're sharing pieces of each other, you you know, you placate the, the losses and stuff. But, yeah, you know, mitigating losses is, is one thing, you know, putting out 100 grand cash for someone else is another. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend go, people go to cardstead.com and, and read this entire article because he does a really good job of showing how uh, you can go from a playing a one-two game in your local room to playing one of these, you know, big buy-ins on TV just by swaps. Yeah, um, and I had never seen it laid out that way or, or described that way, and it's, it was really fascinating because you know once you take that swap, now you reduce your your liability or your risk. Um, so you're really playing at that lower level because you've got two opportunities uh, to win. And so if you end up with and his and scenario, again, he's not pointing out anything particular. He's just writing a scenario, but you know, you end up with everybody at the table, but two or three people having a piece of each other and they carve up those three people, you know, kind of like right out of rounders. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and there's no oh. rake, you know, yeah, yeah. So it is. It is kind of a kind of a squirmy feeling, I guess. Reading it, um, I mean, where you could see as a player, you would be enticed to want to do this if somebody offers a swap. Um, you know, we've all played together and had pieces of each other and, and stuff. Um, generally, not at the same table, though. Um, right. In fact, I don't think I've ever had a piece of someone when I'm playing at the same table. But you want a piece of me. Um, so it's interesting Um, so I mean again and he wasn't criticizing anything he was just I mean he ended the column by saying hey I just want you to know this when you're watching which I thought was a good way of um, you know explaining it Uh, so and then part of it he went on to say you know hey you know these TV producers they want they want people on these TV shows that people want to watch and so they might look the other way on these deals, even if they know about them. Uh, for me, to that extent, that that doesn't bother me at all. I'm like, all TV is is curated and made up. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it just yeah. is. You know, reality TV is, is such a hilarious term because yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's Oxy. nothing nothing real about this. Right. And and if it was, we probably wouldn't watch. So um, so yeah. So I mean, you want to watch a bunch of. Uh, people that are boring but are, are playing with their own money and, and not staking each other or do you want to watch uh, eight really interesting players yuck it up and have a good time um, even though they all have their own uh, they, they all have swaps with each other I, I, I'm going to choose the, the, the latter on that 
but others might not. So um, um, it doesn't seem to bother me. Too it much. does. It does raise the collusion item up that we'll certainly we'll does. be talking about in a few minutes too. And you know, because I mean, let's admit it, if you're playing at a table with somebody and all of your money's over there. And all of your money is, and he's got half of you, and you got half of him, or whatever, and you're playing each other. I mean, I guess you doesn't matter because you're playing each other, and you're going to get your money back. But that's another thing too: is you might not play the proper way. It, it is, it is, and it does throw up some red flags. Certainly, certainly red flags. Um, I, I would, I would say swaps versus backing are two different things, though. So you right. know, if 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 I've got twenty percent of you, and you got twenty percent of me, and we're both in the hand, you're right. I mean, we're still you know uh, we're still going to combine we're still going to get the same amount of money right whereas right. If, we're, if you're backing me um that's a different story i would rather win my own stuff so right if i'm backing you and you're on the hook for the money i'm still going to go after your stack but if right. i'm swapping with you then it might be like well it doesn't matter what happens here because you and i are going to have the same amount of money at the end so right. you know yeah. but then you get involved with a third player and now you're doing the whipsaw with them you yeah, know, that's there's, yeah, that's what the collusion probably. really can. So yeah. it's it's interesting, and it's not that I didn't think it was happening. It's just it's if you sit down, and you get down to the the bedrock of it. You know, you start to think this shouldn't happen. And then I always like to look at things from a reality standpoint too. I'm like, the reality is, how do you stop this? I mean, it doesn't mean that you just turn the blind eye and let it happen, but realistically you know i guess maybe when these tv producers if they you know they suspect somebody has a piece of somebody then you, you can cast somebody else right but yeah, yeah. in a in a regular poker room um you know and you're right we're going to talk about this a little bit more later um but uh you know how do you prove that someone has a piece in them you know somebody might tell you that guy's got a piece of him and he's got a piece of him watch him and that's the best you could do is watch them, right? I mean, I, I don't think you want to overreact um, on it. So, I mean, it, it's just the way of the world with this stuff. And um, yeah. unfortunately, there are things like that in poker that yeah. just are going to change. So, all right. And then reminder, as we mentioned before, this is our last real episode this week. But uh, we will do our Remembrance Show next week. So if you have any more memories from the past 17 years, and I really, really enjoyed the ones that we've gotten. So thank you all for taking the time to send in some stuff i mean you guys are reminding me of stuff that i'd forgotten that you know which is not surprising because we're very old now we're old now yeah have no no good memory so uh go ahead and get that to us email us at podcast at antiapmagazine.com the show will officially be february 18th but as you all know we recorded on february 17th and we finished the show notes on february 16th so get it get it to us uh, no later than next wednesday and um we will try to get as many on the show as we can excellent uh, each week we spotlight a listener who emails the podcast at antiapmagazine.com, but we won't do that anymore after today. So <laughs> this is the last spotlight, and how fitting it goes to Vic G. Uh, he says, I visit my brother a couple times a year, and we always go to his local poker room to play a little. We like to sit at the same table right next to each other so we can chat and catch up, but we both play for each other's stacks. Earlier on my most recent trip, we both get it in uh, all in uh, with a local player who is a, uh, usually grumpy. I have pocket queens, my brother has pocket kings, and the local has pocket aces. I flop a queen and win the pot. A few days later, we return to the room. I'm seated next to the local player from that hand. He immediately asks for a seat change. My brother is next on the wait list and is seated at my table next to me. The local player gets up and moves to another table. After a couple of hands, a floor asks to speak to my brother away from the table. The next thing I know, my brother is racking up his chips and moving to another table. I ask him why, and he says that the floor said that a player reported the two of us were colluding and wanted us separated. That's ridiculous. My brother asked if it was the local player from the hand and got a knowing smile from the floor, who offered no opportunity for us to appeal, no concrete examples of collusion from the accuser, and no form of corroboration from any dealer. It was cut and dried. We can't play together in that room ever again. So, was this collusion? If my call with pocket queens was considered a type of soft play, was it serious enough to warrant this level of penalty? Was it just a case of sour grapes on the local player's part? When someone at the table asked what was happening, that a player was removed, I told them that the player accused us of collusion, which they replied, he's a grumpy old man, always complains, no one likes him. What recourse, if any, might you suggest, as this is the only room near my brother? 
Uh, wow, I can go lots of ways on this. Uh, I imagine you probably could too. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start with the fact that, yes, this is unfortunate because we know Vic G. I uh, don't know his brother, but we're going to go ahead and trust that they are on the up and up here. Um, and so it is unfortunate because, you know, you know, when you live that far away and, you know, I look forward to the couple times a year I see my brother and wanting to catch up. We don't play cards together, but if we did, that would be a great way of catching up, right? Um, and, uh, and now to not be able to do that, um, even though, uh, we know that we didn't do anything illegal, uh, or unethical, um, really kind of sucks. Um, now the room doesn't know Vic G may know his brother, but doesn't know Vic G. Um, and so this is, this is a, an interesting situation for them to be in because, you don't want to become a room that's known as one that allows collusion, right? Uh, particularly, right. again, right. in the post-Mike Bostel world, <laughs> you know. Um, so you might be a little bit more heavy-handed now than you were in the past, just to be sure. And it, it might be just easier and, be honest, quite uh, less confrontational just to separate you two from the table and, and then not have to worry about it rather than, you know, sit there and watch you all day and see if they actually see something. So uh, I'm not suggesting that's the correct way of happening and doing it, but, uh, but I can also understand that that is um, for better or worse and probably worse, an easy fix for the poker room. I, I would like to say that one, this gives players way too much power in their room. Uh, I agree with that. Yep. Because now let's just say I'm playing at a table and I don't like a guy and I don't want him at my table. Now I just go up to them and say, hey, you know what? I was here last week, and those two guys were sitting next to each other, and I got involved in a big pile of them. I want one of them gone. And then, yep. you know, so it's, it's what's well, one thing. They, they just take the guy at his word, a known grumpy player. They take him at his word and break you up because this guy who left the table and now, how do you know he just wasn't ticked off and then just wanted to break them up because you know, he was being a jerk? So to just do it without balance is, is not right for the room. Now, that being said, it's their room. They can do whatever they want, and you have to live with the, you know, the results. So um, I would go to them together yeah. the next, yeah. next time and say, look, I, I don't know why you think we were colluding. Feel free to watch us. Put the camera right on us. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. But we would not ever do that. We'd go after each other's stacks, blah, 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 and just explain your case. You know? And then after pleading your case, if the guy's like, yeah, dude, we just, we just don't want the hassles. I'm sorry. Just don't sit together. Then you just got to live with it because you don't want to get your brother banned from the room either, and sure. then he can't play yeah. at all. It's the only room near him. So I wouldn't yeah. push it hard, but I'd give it a shot. You know, to yeah, say, hey, what's the certainly, deal? certainly justified in doing exactly what you said. I'm like, you know, hey, you know, I'm not trying to cause an issue here, but uh, we're not colluders. We're, you know, I'm down here a couple times a year. I want to catch up with my brother, we want, and we can do that sitting next to each other at the table. I'm like, you know, if you've got some proof <laughs> that we're doing something that we don't think we are, then that's one thing. But if not, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say this is clearly a laziness on the part of the poker room. I mean, both what I already said, but then, too, obviously, again, we're getting Vic G's version from the players you talk to. But we know every poker room we've been in, there's a, a guy like this, right? Um that everybody's like, yep, that's that's who he is, and uh, um, it, it always kind of shocks me that there's always one of those in the room because you know the staff can take care of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you can tell that person, hey, either you quit complaining or you quit playing here, but one of one of those two things is going to happen, and uh, but they don't. Um, you know, so I, I don't really know in this case if this is one where they value this player more than uh, Vic and his brother. I, I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, sometimes, and this is unfortunate, but it's the, you know, the whole squeaky wheel gets the, uh, yeah. Wheel, right? yeah. Uh, the complainers is just, it's just easier. And again, I'll admit lazier just to like do whatever they say, and get them out of your ear. So you can focus on your other guests. Um, and that's unfortunate in this case for Vic and his brother, but uh, but but I'm sure that happens a lot of places. Now, a uh, stronger management team would probably take a different tact here and 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 be right in the face and, and tell this guy, sorry. I mean, if you give me some better reasons, maybe I'll separate them. Uh, clearly, I've seen Elliot deal with players very strongly. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I don't think this would happen in his casino. I think you'd be direct to this guy, and I'm like, nope, we're just not going to separate a guy because you think they're cheating. I'm like, you're going to have to give me something better than that. Um, 
Yeah, they so, got it all in. That's the thing. I mean, I can guess he was saying something about Vic was saying softly because he only called or something, but they're they're still all in at the end of this. So if he was soft playing his brother, then he would have been like, all right, I'm getting out of this hand, let you win it or something or, or whatever. And how shocked are we that, that Vic won the hand? He wins yeah. every hand. <laughs> right? He flops a queen when he's dead to two queens, to his king, brother's kings and aces, and he still wins. Um, but you know what else, too? If you only go down there a couple times a year, are they even going to remember you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how often his brother goes, and, and obviously it seems like this other guy is there every time because I, I did have to edit his, as I always do with Vic, because uh, it's you know very likely. Um, but this is over the course of four days in a row, so and this guy was in the room all four days that they were Jeez. there. So, so yeah, I have a feeling he's going to remember <laughs> these two. So, um, well, that's uh, what I would do though. I would, I would. The next time you go down, I would go play and play with him. And then yeah. if the guy's there and then brings it up and then, then you, that's when you plead your case and say, really, dude, prove it, you know, at that point. I wouldn't just go in there and then announce to them, hey, we were here last six months ago and they accused us of collusion, but we still want to sit together, you know. I would go yeah. and just play and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And see, what, I mean, it could be just that one floor and then other floors, you know, exactly. remember or have been told or something like that. So um, I, I, on the other side of this, though, I'm like uh, – I'm not discouraging people from sitting next to your friends and talking during the game. For the, that's one of the reasons we all play poker, right? It's the social aspect of it. Um, but it, 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 you are opening yourself up to people accusing you of collusion when you are sitting there the entire day talking and blah, blah, blah. And you both happen to, by the way, be very good players. Right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean it's right or anything. But again, we live in worlds of perceptions. Um, so um, there is a risk you take when you, you know, if we're traveling and fast and I sit down at the table and just gab all night and play and, and we both up in winning, we're taking a risk, right? Um, it's not anything we're doing wrong. But the perception is that there might be something going on there. I mean, people people have seen rounders a hundred times, and if you're Chris, you've seen it four thousand times. So, <laughs> you know, so you know, people were always in the back of their mind thinking about this. I mean, the whole you know, all the lore of poker is about cheating, right? So everybody's kind of trying to find somebody cheating. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been at a table once where the guy looked at the dealer and he said, "I'm watching you." <laughs> and the dealer kind of couldn't help but laugh, and the rest of us couldn't help but laugh. And he's like, okay, dude. He's like, no, I'm watching you. And then we watched this guy watch him the rest of the night. It was hilarious. Um, and the dealer wasn't doing anything wrong, but this guy was convinced that he was. So, um, again, perception. So um, it is unfortunate, but that that's – you do open yourself up to uh, when you're doing that. Again, not telling you not to because we do it all the time and then, you know, poker's a social game. But – it's frustrating. Remember the time we were in Vegas? I think, I, I can't remember what room it was, but I accused the guy of going south. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were playing a cash game, and, like, the guy had won a big pot, and he might have won it off of you, so that's why I was, like, pissed off, and I wanted to target him or something. And then I looked at his stack, and I'm like, wait a minute. He didn't he just win it? So I'm like, hey, dude, are you leaving? And he's like, no. I'm like, well, your stack got small pretty quick, and you just won a pot. And he's like, yeah, but I just lost a pot. And I'm like, no, I, you know, and I look at the dealer and I'm like, is he going south? And then you're, laughing, you're like, oh, my God, is this what it's like to play poker with Casenza? Oh, my God, you know. But then uh, the guy didn't go south. I just forgot a pot that he had lost and I felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should take yourself up. Uh, be aware of the risk you take when you sit down at the table with Chris Casenza. That's right, because I'm watching you. I'm watching you. <laughs> I'm watching you. Hey, so it is time for our final O'Malley's move. We played part one last week, but today we're going to wrap up the entire episode. Always sad when this is uh, stuff that you have to face, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to do it right now. So here comes part one, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello. And welcome to the final episode of O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We have come full circle and are back to our roots playing in our regular $1, $2, no limit hold'em home game. The action has been pretty steady, as over the years the players in this game have gotten better, both in recognizing each other's tendencies and in the strategy involved in no limit hold'em. We bought in for 200 and have built our stack up to 325 We've been playing for three hours, and the game is nine-handed. The blinds post, the under-the-gun folds, 
the plus one calls, the MP folds, the MP1 calls, and we are in the hijack with 325 and the jack of clubs, 10 of clubs. We make a raise here, accounting for the limpers, to $12. The cutoff folds. The button calls. This player has been our most common villain throughout the run of O'Malley's move. We have clashed with him more often than any other player, and we are very familiar with each other's style of play. He has been the best player in our game, and he started the hand with 400. The small blind and big blind both fold. The plus one calls. The MP1 folds, and we are going to a flop with around $40 in the pot. The flop comes down, the nine of clubs, seven of diamonds, tray of clubs. This is a very good flop for our hand. We have a flush draw as well as a gut shot straight draw. The plus one checks, and we make our standard continuation bet of $25, which we would do with almost all of our range. Without hesitation, the button calls exactly as we expected him to. The plus one folds, and we are now heads up. There's around $90 in the pot, and the turn is the four of hearts. I was going to bet any turn, and my opponent probably knows this. We bet $60. He calls quickly again. There is now 210 in the pot, and the river is the deuce of spades. We missed. We have 218 in our stack, Roughly a pot-sized bet. So I ask you, one final time, what's the move? All right, only one way to win this pot, and this is what poker is all about. The fact that the board is uninspiring makes this an easier decision for me. With overcards, it's hard to make this show here, but there's a decent chance our opponent missed his flush draw or is not enamored of his hand enough to make the call. Let's go out in style, Mal. Um, I'm going to make it like a value bet here. Don't shove. Bet like 90 bucks. You know, mm-hmm. why are you intimidating me? Bet, bet, a, bet yeah. an amount that makes it look like you want to get called, but it's enough to take a bite out of this guy's stack, and then he might just lay it down. But to me, shoving, he's going to be one of those, why so much? And then he's going to call you, and then we're going to lose. <laughs> so let's bet 90 bucks. Okay, here we go. The final part of O'Malley's move. Hello again. We only have one way to win this pot, and we're going for it. We shove. We know this opponent very well. We know exactly what he's going to say before he even says it. It feels like you either have an overpair or a missed draw. We know that he has us beat. As he contemplates his move, we get a bit introspective. Life is just one long poker game. Poker is just one long session. The beauty and the torture of this game is the incomplete information. The only thing that matters is if you make the right decisions in the right moments. I've made a lot of wrong ones over the 10 plus years I've done this segment. Did I make the right move in this moment? In this case, I'm going to leave you with a bit of incomplete information. What did my opponent do? To paraphrase Mike McDermott, I'm sorry, I don't remember. What a great way to end this fantastic segment. Uh, my guess, uh, our opponent called and we lost, and Mike McDermott didn't cash in the World Series. <laughs> I'm not making any prediction about this ending. It's just too perfect for me to taint. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> so I, I do want to thank Malcolm, though, for picking up the ball when uh, Colombo bailed and uh, for staying with us for over a decade. And, you know, he just did it for the love of the segment and our friendship, you know. No pay, nothing, just loved being a part of the show and, and being friends with us all these years. And... Um, just some some fantastic memories from from his segments and even his other stuff too you know he'd send in hands of the week and other things like that too and just love it when the fans contributed to the show and now he's you know he's like he's one of us now you know i really appreciate all he did for us and let's not forget that he lives in utah right and yeah you know, about, about a lot of poker in utah so to keep this thing going for 10 years he had a lot of home games and a lot of trips to windover to make this happen so yeah, yeah. uh yeah it's uh it's crazy to think that it's been i mean as many years as it has been for us, but 10 for him. That's yeah. just insane. Just Absolutely crazy. insane. Thanks, O'Malley. Much appreciated. All right, it's time for advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands for situations. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, I mean, you can still send them, but you're just not going to win anything. Scott will weigh in on you, stuff, but you're not going to get anything. <laughs> Our final hand of the week comes from Phil Nora, who sent us several over the years. So 
way to go out uh, with all of our um, some of our favorite uh, contributors this week. And uh, he did want to say, uh, love you guys. Thanks so 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 many episodes of Pure Poker Joy. So was that cool. seven seven so's? That's, That's pretty a lot good. of so's. Yeah. All right. Uh, he says it's the uh, summer of 2021, and he's playing his first live tournament in four years at Rivers Casino in Philadelphia. My first buy-in at 130 was pretty much a dong fest. I think I made it to the second level. I calmed down and played well on my one optional re-entry, and we start the final table about four hours later. We're in the money after outlasting 148 other entries, uh, which is about 100 actual players. Uh, let's see. We're playing 10-handed, and 10th uh, place pays 300. First place plays 4,300. Wow. Uh, he gave me the whole breakdown here, but I guess we'll go back and fill that in if we need to. Yeah, yeah. But pretty big spread here, though, right? Uh, he says, I fold the first hand. I'm under the gun, plus one for the second hand of the final table. It folds to me with the uh, king, jack of spades, and we have an average stack of 20 big blinds. He says they're probably... Uh, three short stacks and two big stacks, uh, and everybody else is pretty close to me. And uh, his first question is, would you play this hand? Uh, I would not play this hand. I fold. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you another 17 <laughs> years. Um, I definitely would not play this hand, especially you just got to this final table. You know what I mean? It's a trap hand. It's Yeah, it's suited. Um, if if you're like the big stack and you want to sort of whatever, but if everyone's pretty much the same on as you, you're pretty early in the hand here and early at the final table yeah. to be playing a trap hand like this. You know, what are you hoping to hit? So yeah, okay. So you can make the ace of spades come on the table and you got the nut flush draw, or you could, you know, flop king high. But if someone else calls your raise, they could very easily have king queen calling a raise or even ace king and smooth playing it or something. So. At the first final, first or second hand at the final table like this, I, I think I'm going to be willing to let it go and just see how the pl table's playing for a few minutes before I just get in there with some tricky hands. The big thing, the big fact here for me is 20 big blinds. Yeah. Uh, I know he said that's an average stack, but 20 big blinds, we're getting very close to short stack here. So that, and the fact that we have an average stack of 20 big blinds suggests that this is going to be a pretty wild final table. Yeah, shove fest. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be very, very careful about what pots I get myself into, and I'm going to the only hands I'm going to play under the gun, under gun plus one, under gun plus two are going to be super premium hands, and uh, I, king jack of spades does not even come close to that. Um, so at this point, I'm like, you know, you're you're if you're just limping here, now you're down to 19 big blinds. Yeah. If there's any kind of raise here, now you're going to be down to about 15 big blinds before you even see a flop. So think about that. So um, uh, generally, I'm going to wait here. I mean, I'll, I'll even shovel 20 big blinds at this point. I mean, that's the kind of hands I'm looking for, and King Jack Spades just isn't it. So, um, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I'm not, I, I, yeah, 17 years later, I'm not a fantastic poker player, but one of the things that, that I do feel like I do pretty well is kind of analyzing the math at a final table or a sit and go and figure out where we need to get our chips in and how to play it. Um, you know, there's a reason uh, I got that short stack ninja nickname. <laughs> so it's, it's about, you know, deciding where to deploy your limited resources. And we have 20 big blinds. Even if an average stack, we have limited resources here. And uh, this is not a place I'm going to deploy. So now here's, here's another main reason why we need to end the show. So we're here and you're analyzing the hand with me. And you're like, and you can't limp because then you have 19 big blinds. And I'm like, how does he know that he has 19 big blinds? We don't know what the blind structure is yet. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, he had 20 big blinds. And if he limps, that's a big blind. <laughs> My mind just doesn't work anymore, you know. I can't, I can't sit here. and I was horrible at analyzing these hands for 17 years. You don't want me to do it with dementia or something, you know. I'm just, my mind is not what it used to be. Uh, questions only get harder here on out, Chris, so. That's what I'm saying. So, Subtraction is the easiest part of this show. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. You don't want me editing a magazine anymore. I can't even read stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, how am I going to function as a, an adult in this industry? So I need to get out now while I still can. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I forgot about here is we got three short stacks. Uh, I don't know where they are at the table, but... You know, you got to assume, again, for an average of 20 big blinds, um, and if we – that's 19, Chris, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, the, these guys are looking for a chance to show because they've got less than we do. 
uh, probably a lot less. So you got to you got to assume every single hand spinal table, someone's going to be all there. Yeah. Um, now, if it's you're the big blind and the short stack's the small blind, that's a different story altogether. And that way, I'll probably be calling King Jack Space all day long. But under the gun, you know. I don't want to get into a five-way shove fest here with King Jack Spades. Now imagine, what are the hands that you shove with when you're short? Any ace, which is already beating your King Jack, now you have to hit a card. Or any pair, which yep. is already beating your King Jack and you have to hit. So, you know, you know you're going to be facing shoves because you're early in the hand. It's not like you're the last person to act and you got one blind behind you, or you're second and last, you got one blind behind you. And then you shove, or you bet. But this case, you've got all these people to fade, and they're all going to want to shove on you. So I'm letting it go. Yep, absolutely. All right, I'm going to assume that's not going to happen here. So yeah. uh, here it says I have my eye on third place or higher. And by the way, third place is 1900. Okay. Uh, it says I opened a 2x and a small and big blinds call. Both have about the same size stack as I do. I don't know much about these players. So they probably didn't. Didn't just get lucky to get here, though. Huh. All right, so I'm going to say, one, we dance through raindrops here. Right? Yeah, yeah. Min rays, no one bid on it other than the small blind and the big blind. Uh, so we're probably in a pretty good spot here, but I don't want to be – this is the problem is now we've been conditioned to make a C-bet, right, because we're the one that raised. I mean, now our C-bet is going to make a short stack. So really, we're, we've committed to this hand now pretty much if we make that C-bet. So Plus we, we went we went two x, so that means eighteen big blinds, right? Am I, am I correct? <laughs> so we have eighteen big blinds, and that's like that's shove territory anyway. Put another one on the big board for Chris. You're going to get that water pick, buddy. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, obviously, if we hit our king jack or spade draw or something like that. Then yeah, then we'll commit to this hand, but. If it's not that, I mean, we got to shut this thing down, and so that's why the two x didn't make any sense to me because uh, it's not going to drive anybody out. Certainly, I'm not going to drive the big blind out. And um, and then now we're going to have to play this hand out. It's you know, if you were going to get in here, I think you needed to to shove with this hand. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but that's that's just points to the reason why we shouldn't be playing this hand. Yeah, I um, I don't I don't like I don't like this this to be a hand that I want to play like this. I it's to me it was either going to be I want a made hand that I can sort of fool around with. It doesn't matter what comes on the flop, or yeah. I want to shove, you know. And it, it's one of those give and goes or whatever they call it, where you call and then shove or something. I'm not doing that with this. This is this is uh, the type of hand that I just want to get out of the way, and then if I'm in the right position, then I call or shove with it. But I'm I'm not happy with raising with two X with the king right. jack. All right, let's see what happens. Uh, so three of us to the flop of Ace of Diamonds, Queen of Spades, Tray of Hearts, and it checks to us. Uh, no, see, I just feel like I'm being trapped. See, I mean, this is what I was talking about. I mean, yeah. this is not a hand that we want to continue with now. No, you're, in, you're at the final table, and you're in the blinds, and your average stack may be smaller than that. Why are you calling a raise from someone in an early position unless you have an ace in your hand? I feel yeah, like I'm being set up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And unless everybody is just not paying attention to their stacks, which I see a lot of tournaments. I really do. Yeah, in this yeah. kind of scenario, I see a lot of people not paying attention or not playing what, what I believe to be optimally here. So, you know, it could be all kinds of things here. But, yeah, I, I think common sense would say somebody hit this ace. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to check behind, which sucks because we raised preflop. So the whole point of that is to take control of the hand, and now you're giving up control. And if somebody bets out on me on the turn, I'm going to really have to think about it or have I've hit it really well. Like if a 10 comes, obviously, or something. Well, it has, to be the, it has to be the 10 of spades for me to continue with this. Yes. Yeah. I, I would need both a straight and a flush draw to continue here. I, I don't think I could do it with just another spade. I don't think I could do it with another king. And I don't think I could do it with the jack. And those are the three things that would help us other than yeah. a 10. Yeah. yeah, 10 gives you the nuts. And if it's 10 of spades, it gives you wow. But if it's, yeah. I'd rather just have it be a regular 10. That way, somebody with a better spade draw doesn't get true. there, you know. But that's true. Yeah, uh, I'll take a ten any day. But yeah, I'm just checking and hoping for something better on the. On yeah, the- I, I, this is this is the check down here unless I improve. Um, and the good thing is, you know, you're allowed. You get twenty big lines, so you're allowed one mulligan at this final table, right? So if you check this down it, or you fold at some point, you have eighteen big lines. So um, now you're like, okay, 
I just made my mistake. I learned from it. Yeah. <laughs> now you tighten up and you play better. So yeah. uh, what you don't want to do is end up with five big lines in his hand, in his hand um, because of those mistakes. So and right now you can get out of this without it being too painful. So, All right, let's check. All right. Uh, here it says it's 18 big blinds and the pot is seven big blinds. And he decides to check. Uh, he says, anticipating any ace or queen will call me and I'm willing to give up for now. Um, but the turn brings me a flush draw. So the board is aces, diamonds, queen of spades, tray of hearts, six of spades. And it checks to us again. Uh, well, somebody's either really tricky or we need to bet. That's the thing. And if you shove, you know, it's over betting. But at the same time, you only have 18 blinds. You don't want somebody hitting some crappy card on the river that pips you or something. Uh, this is terrible. Well, a couple things are going on here. I mean, again, um, it could be that players have now realized, hey, I don't have enough chips to be playing this pot. So everybody's trying to get to a check down here to try to win with whatever they have. And if that's the case, I'm happy. I mean, you can make two cases. You can make a bet here. But if you're wrong with that bet, now you're down to 10 big lines um, and definitely shoving your next hand. Um, or you can just check behind hope that spade comes or even hope that your king might be good or your king or jack comes and happens to be good. So again, at this point, I, I, I would hope that I realize I made a mistake getting in this and I'm just going to check and be passive here. So. Yeah, I'm happy to check. I, I, I really am. I, there was an argument to be made that you raised pre-flop, you should have represented that ace, but it just seems like why are those guys calling at a at a final table like this early on with, you know, just, are they just defending their blinds to raise it? That's what they do. Or these guys, you know, have an ace, and so they're slow playing us. So, but even now, do you really risk checking another round? With now, it made the board really wet. Do you really risk checking it again if you don't have that ace? If you do have an ace, I mean. So, I don't know. I, I think I will check behind, and then if I happen to hit my flush on the end, you know, then I'll get some value. And if I don't hit my flush on the end, then I could just get away for just losing two blinds, and that's nothing, really. And so, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. so let's, let's just check again. I know it seems really passive, but I feel like with the final table and the way it's been laid out for us, I think we need to check one more time. And you're right. I would assume if there's an ace or queen out there that somebody would become alive on the turn, at least. I mean, this, this short, you, you have to get money in when you have it, especially when we slow down. So, you know, it's probably possible that, we, that we're better than we think we are here. But yeah. not good enough for me to bet, though, so... All right. All right. Uh, here it says, I doubt either one has an ace at this point, unless it came with a low kicker, which is always possible in the blinds. I'm willing to see a free card to see if I can catch my flush or my streak. A king might even give me the win, but I don't anticipate them folding a pocket pair, a queen, or an ace after I showed weakness on the flop. Maybe some of that, some of that folds to a shove. I'm not willing to shove. So we check. Oh, okay. The river brings the ten of spades. For the second nuts for us on the final board of Ace of Diamonds, Queen of Spades, Tray of Hearts, Six of Spades, Ten of Spades. First player leads for two big blinds, and the second player calls. Bot is 11 big blinds, and we have 18 blind blinds in our stack. Wow. Okay, so this Oh, we is... also said the blinds are going up soon, which will convert my 18 big blinds to 12. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'd like to try to win the tournament, and I'm not going to win the tournament with just four more blinds. So, you know, there's a there's a part of me that says, well, let's raise here because I think they may have made aces up now. Um, but there's also a part of me that thinks somebody had an ace of spades in their hand and some raggy spade, which is why they call mm -hmm. them raise. Yep. And uh, they're just trying to get some value. They were being tricky and didn't happen. So I, I know you might get some funny looks if you just call at the table. And, you know, you might, we might get some final, you know, ribbing from everybody on our last hand of the week saying, you know, how could you play it this way? You should play it that way. But the other thing is I'm going to trust my gut and say with 95% of our hands of the week that come in, you know, we lose the hand. So <clears throat> I feel like uh, a call might be in order here to save face for all of us here <laughs> and not go out on a losing note. Uh, so yeah, this is an interesting thing because the bet is two big blinds. I think the pot is what's still seven big blinds, seven, right? Yeah. So, um, and we're, and we're short stacked here. So that, that's very curious to me that it seems like a, um, uh, you know, I, I want you to call kind of bet here, which would be that ace of spades with a raggedy spade. 
Um, the second player calls, obviously, uh, we've got one of these players beat, right? Yeah. So if that could be another smaller speed that's just not cautious and is happy that the bet was set pretty low. Um, so I, there's just too much there that, to spook me. Um, now, I guess the other frame of mind is if it isn't that and we can get somebody to commit to some more here, I'm like, this is, I mean, when you're at 20 big blinds, you're in the average deck. You're going to need to double up sometime during this final table to win or, or to get the third as his goal is, right? So, I mean, this is a pretty good spot with second nuts. Um, the problem is is that the nuts is pretty po- possible here. So, so I don't know. It's early at the final table. We don't seem to know these players very well. The two big blinds is super weird to me, super fishy. Uh, we got another player in, so we actually picked up four big blinds here, but right on top of 11, so that's 11 big blinds. So that gets us up to almost 30 if we win this. Now the blinds are going up, which cuts it down, which is all the more reason we shouldn't have gotten in this hand. Uh, I think I'm just going to call here and hope for the best. And if somebody thinks that I was too weak to not raise with second nuts, then, hey, that's fine. Here, oh. here's, here's what I'll do. I'll make you feel better about this. So if we had played this whole pot a whole different way, and blah, 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 and on the river you wanted to make a value bet, what would you bet? You'd bet a third of the pot. Yep. Two big yep. blinds right. into a pot of seven big blinds is basically a third of the pot. Sure. Yep. yep. And now you're getting another guy who called. So by calling two big blinds here, it's as if you bet two big blinds and got called twice. And you right. did what you wanted to do. You made a value bet on the end. That's how you can look at it if you want to feel better about yourself and not shove and lose to ace rag, you know, spades. Yep. So. I'm just going to call and, and feel better about it. You know, if I have the best hand, my people might be like, what are you, crazy? Hey, dude. And you can just hash it out with them or just say, keep your mouth shut because you don't want to educate them right. and move yeah. on. So I'm going to call and feel good about it. I'm with you on this. All right. All right. Here it says, I thought for a while, then shoved to get a big stack for my quest of third to first. Uh, I'm thinking that there's no way either one of these players calls a suited ace preflop then checks a pair of aces on the flop, then checks a pair of aces with the nut flush draw on the turn, then bets or calls only 2x into a 7x pot on the river. I'm hoping they have a flush or a straight, and one of them will call, hoping to catch a bluff. I'm wrong. Oh. Small blind calls with the nuts, and the big blind folded without showing. I'm out in 10th place and kicking myself. I think I, I would have rather had a shot at a big stack in 4K than trying to ladder up a ninth place $60. Well, I mean, here's the deal. You know, um... I disagree with the part about not betting. You're not gonna you're not gonna bet the flop when you have ace rag and someone race preflop in early position. They pro- we probably have the ace now on the turn when you pick up the flush draw. Different But yeah. even then, if you bet out and then someone now shoves all in, you're putting your tournament life on hoping that you hit the flush because you know your ace isn't good. I can still defend the check on the turn out of position. That's just what this person was. So and then I can defend the value bet on the end because he has to make a he has to get something for making the nuts, and so he bets a two big blind, which is basically a third of the pot. You actually can't bet a third of the pot, basically. I mean, you could yeah. try to, but what's a third of a seven? You know what I mean? So then it's like two point three or whatever. You know, so you have to. So it's two bets. That's two. That's that's the way it goes. So I would argue that this person could have had that, and that's why I would have called. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we mentioned that the two big, two big blinds being fishy. I mean, if you've got a really strong hand, I mean, a little weak hand there, two big blinds is not going to get somebody out, right? So if you're making that bet without, you know, a big hand, uh, you're taking a pretty big risk there. I mean, you would, you would think you would bet at that point, like a pot size bet, like seven big blinds or something, and then everybody would scatter, right? So. Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, I'm not at all surprised to see that. Um, and not picking on Phil on the on the very last hand of the week. Um, but, yeah, that final table, table management, uh, it's a big skill. I mean, that's why I enjoy playing sit-and-goes online. You can still play them, you know, on Poker Stars for free and stuff like that. And just get used to how the chips move around. I mean, it's a little different story in a sit-and-go because you're all starting with the same stack, uh, whereas a final table in the tournament you're not. But, um be cognizant of your of your chip stack and uh, and how valuable those chips are now. I mean, there's 20 big blinds in your average stack. Those chips are super, super valuable. And I want somebody to pry them out of my hands. I don't want to just give them to them. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, like you said, too, that when you started the hand of the week, you said something about most of them were evenly stacked. So that would help you if you're at a sit-and-go all the time, you know, playing them online True. and stuff. You know, that yeah. would have prepared you for this moment. So 
But Phil, thanks for all of your contributions over the years. Much appreciated. And uh, congratulations. You're the final hand of the week on the Indiana PokerCast. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.